Welcome to the Reseller Entrepreneur, the podcast for reseller hobbyists eager to turn reselling into a successful business. Learn from Mike and other reseller entrepreneurs as they share their experiences and tips on running an online business. Here's your host, Old Fashioned Mike. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining. So today we're going to talk about fees, everybody's favorite topic. Now, a lot of people who who may already have been exposed to this on other YouTube channels or on other podcasts, um, I kind of wanted to wait and digest everything that's been said and, and want to give my own view on this. Um, now, a lot of this is only going to uh, affect you if you are in the management payments uh, system. And of course, uh, you know, I don't know what it's like in Europe, uh, and other parts of the world, but in the U S we have something called managed payments. Managed payments is something that everybody's being pushed to starting last year, really. Um, and so you may not be in this yet. You might be still using PayPal, but you are going to be forced into managed payments. And I think a lot of people, uh, really had some consternation about that. I think there's some good things with it. I've had it for a while now. I've been in it since last July and it was a bumpy start, but now that we're kind of in things, it's actually not too bad, right? I've had, you get paid on time. It, it's very direct. Um, you don't have to worry about actually cashing in all the time. It just, you could stick it on a calendar and have it, have it do it automatically. I do it once a week. Um, it comes in every Tuesday, which is really nice. Um, they did give you some benefits as a managed payments, uh, user. And, uh, so I'm going to kind of go through some of that really, really quick. And then, um, then we're going to go into the new fees and the new fees are kind of, there's some, some really good things about it. And there's only one slightly bad thing about it. And so I think that that's not what other people are saying on YouTube and on podcasts. I think that the, a lot of these people think that eBay is going digging in your pocket a little bit more, but I think that we have some real benefits here that I want to, we're one real benefit. Okay. So let's just say if you are a managed payments, uh, uh, a seller, you are basically going to have a big boost in the number of fixed price listings. Um, and I think the big one here is the difference between what you are as a premium store versus an anchor store. And then looking how much the cost of those premium and anchor stores cost per month. So I'm going to talk to uh, first about if you are a, uh, just a clothing seller, if you're a clothing seller, if you recall, on your premium store, you used to have a thousand fixed price listings in all categories and then 500 auction listings in all categories. If you were a managed payment seller, it stayed at a thousand and five hundred, but then you got a something called a 50,000 fixed price listings in select categories. And I'm going to go through those select categories in a second. Um, but essentially the big one for us, at least when I've talked about a lot is in the, um, in the collectible space. That's a huge one, right? So if you have an anchor store, you jumped up to a 10,000 fixed price listings and a thousand auction listings in specifically auction listings in fashion and collectibles, which is odd because those are the two things I'm in right now. And if you moved into the, um, the managed payments area, it jumped, you not only got the 10,000 fixed price listings and the thousand auctions, you got an additional 75,000 fixed price listing in select categories. 
So as a premium store, you always say, well, okay, if I have 2000 listings, does it, does it make sense for me to, to jump to the anchor store? And I think for a lot of people, when they hit probably about 2,500 listings, they took serious look because really the 3000 is where it kind of breaks even. So you remember for anything over a thousand fixed price listings, you pay 10 cents, uh, insertion fee for each one of them. So if you make sense, if you have 2000 extra plus the, plus the, uh, thousand, uh, that you had initially. So 3000, you're going to pay 300 bucks. It's basically, basically you break even at 3000. I mean, that's a quick, there's, it's not exactly that, but it's close enough. So you, so once you got to a certain you know, 3000 listings, you say, okay, do I, now do I jump to a, a premium store from an, to a anchor store from a premium store? And I, I pay the extra $230. And so that was kind of the area that, that really a lot of people had to make those choices. But the new scheme, it's different. In the new scheme, as a premium store, you go from 1,000 listings to 10,000 listings. So if you are a close seller, this is awesome. Now, you know, the 50,000 in select categories still apply. And so let's, let's put that aside for a second because that's, I mean, that's great. And it's so good that they did that for us because that actually makes things a lot different. I used to have to worry um, about that, uh, in my original strategy, I had to move from a premium store to an anchor store because I was, I was worried about having 10,000 listings and having a premium store and paying those 10 cents. So I had to move to the anchor store. Um, but in order to make a lot of money in the collectibles market, you have to even be more than 10,000. So I was really, so, so the fact that they threw in, in select categories and collectibles is in those select categories, like I said, which I'll go through. It's, I mean, the, you, which what this new fee structure does, and I'm probably meandering a little bit here, but I'm going to try to kind of break it down here for you. The w- w- the benefit of the new fee structure for for eBay is really, frankly, the jump from 1,000 listings as a premium store to 10,000 listings as a premium store. So, as I sell off my clothing, I still have a lot more than a thousand listings. I have like I'm sitting at probably close to 32, 3,300 listings. Uh, and so I was always forced to stay in the anchor store, but I get to save $230 a month because now it's 10,000 in all categories and 50,000 in select categories. Remember select categories I'm not worried about, but that 10,000 really allows me to move from the anchor store to the premium store. So I get to downgrade. And the only thing you get as a premium, uh, an anchor store membership is you get a little bit more money and the free supplies. And then you get a de- supposedly a dedicated uh, group that will help you in your anchor store. If you have any issues now, I'm finding that actually in pandemic, in the pandemic, I haven't really been able to take care uh, take advantage of that. I've had to actually, uh, even though I've called them and they've been really helpful, it's really the same service I got as when I had a premium store. So post pandemic, which is coming, um, I'm not sure yet. So, you know, so forget about that piece because I don't, I can't really comment on that right now, but the fact of the matter is, is I think I could do most of this stuff, uh, via email and I've gotten down my system so much. I don't really spend a lot of time talking to, to, uh, to eBay. You might not have that issue. You, maybe you need to talk to them. So I save essentially in the new scheme going from 1000 to 10,000, I get to downgrade my anchor store, which is $300 a month down to a $60 a month premium store. And that's the big win. So what are the select categories? 
Well, sports trading cards and collectible cards, all collectibles. Mind you, collectible card games are in the toys and hobbies area. And then sports trading cards are in the sports memorabilia area. Okay. Music, books, DVDs, and movies, stamps, video games, uh, which is in the video games and consoles area, crafts, and then party supplies, which is in the home and garden area. So, so the strategy I've been kind of employing is I got into the collectibles market. So that's, that is a lot of areas that is, that includes the buttons that we, that we talk about occasionally. Uh, of course the postcards fall into that. Of course, sports trading cards that are direct, uh, one and that and collectible card games like, you know, Pokemon and all those are in those, all those things, which really kind of allow us to scan things rather than take pictures, have very few, you know, required amounts of information. Uh, so it allows you to speed up your number of listings, space, all the stuff we talked about in all the other episodes really, really focus on that select category. So my strategy is to get out of the kind of those, those real time waster categories. Clothing for me is that, well, for me is, is a time waster and space waster. So my strategy of course is to move into that select category space. So to me, the only holdout for me is the ability to move from an anchor to a premium, right? So, cause uh, you know, an anchor store in those select categories, you can have 75,000, the new scheme, 75,000 listings and a five, five cent insertion beyond 75,000 to 50,000. Well, I'm not anywhere near 50,000 even. So I'm, I'm really, you know, be at 10,000 probably within the next month. And by the time I move at the end of the year, I'll probably be about 20, 25,000. So really I'm only halfway through my premium subscription. So, I mean that, so that is the big win here. Anchor to premium. If you're outside of that sweet spot, really, this is bad news for you. And the bad news really is, is next, I'm going to go through the final value fees. So currently in most categories, it's 11 and a half percent final value fee and it's moving to 11.7%. So let's say you sell something for a hundred dollars under the old scheme. You'd be paying $11 and 50 cents final value fee plus 30 cents. So it'd be 1180. And under the new scheme, you'd be paying $12. So really, honestly, it, it, there's definitely an increase. And if you're talking about massive volumes, this is going to be a problem for you. But if you think about how that savings from the anchor to the anchor going back to premium, you're going to more than make up. You have to sell a ton for it to make a real difference. And that's what I like about this thing. Now, if you're outside of that sweet spot, 11.2, uh, 11.5 to 11.7 is a big deal, but most of us are not going to be there. Right? So I think this is a good good way of saving 230 bucks a month, roughly, you know, and by the way, a point two, you could, you can adjust your prices to make up for that. So that's kind of, that's kind of nice. And, uh, not including that, that final value fee is the cost for shipping. So if you're paying, if you're paying for sending small stuff, you know, four bucks for shipping anywhere, pretty much in the country, you are, uh, you know, they're not going to, calculate the 11.7 on that. So I really think this is a big win for us. I really do. I know that that's not necessarily the shared, 
uh, feeling. I've, I've, I've actually heard a lot of people, you know, basically whining about how, how it's eBay is getting in our pocket again and yada, yada, yada. But I just don't think that's the case. I think the big win here, um, has, is because they've, they've added those select categories and those select categories is huge. If you're, if you're not in clothing. Now I think personally, they're going to expand it to clothing. Those, the, and the reason why I say that is that there's a lot of competition out there and two factors, actually probably more than two factors, but I know the two that I can think of, um, off the top of my head, uh, that are really, really changing that market. And the one big thing is, is, is Poshmark. And now you're saying, oh, Poshmark, they don't, you know, they don't nearly have the number of people that are on the platform. That's true for today. However, something's really recently happened with Poshmark is they went public. So now that they're a stock owned company, there's going to be a massive amount of pressure to grow that business. And, uh, you know, eBay has been really kind of in the space for a very long time. And so, you, you know, that pressure for them is, uh, has always, always been there, but with Poshmark going public recently, what's going to happen is that there's going to be some pressure on eBay to actually add categories into those select categories. And I think clothing is going to be it. I think clothing is going to be one of them. Number two, and I heard this on the auction professor, frankly, and and so I'm going to give him credit on this, but is the, is thread up. So I, I I've used thread up in senses. I've gotten rid of some stuff off of thread up and it's been really great. Um, but, um, but thread up is, uh, there are a lot of people getting, uh, at, th- uh, you know, putting their stuff on thread up rather than going onto eBay too, cause they do it in bulk and it's a little bit easier, uh, as far as listing. So if you're, it's almost, I don't know exactly how to say it, but essentially in thread up, what you do is you basically stick a bunch of stuff in a bag, send it over to them. And then they, they give you a certain percentage of the money. So you can still make money at it. I think there's certain people that are really, really good at it. I've, I've never really sold on it. I, I was going to use it to get rid of some of the stuff, but they only take really good premium stuff. And so I kind of, I didn't do that. I still have the bags, as a matter of fact, behind me, but, um, but I think that there is a, a, a really big amount uh, of, a large volume going to thread up. And I think that they're going to start putting pressure in addition to the Poshmark, uh, going to put a lot of pressure on eBay, but that's just speculation on my part. I, 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 nobody's told me anything. I haven't heard anything. Um, so I think again, we just need to take what, what, what they've given us and they've given us extra listings in those select categories. Uh, so uh, take advantage of those and, like I said, my mantra, get rid of clothing, move into a more advanced area. Um, but if you already in, are in advanced in clothing and there's, you know, there are certain people that are, I mean, I know, like I said, if I take the YouTubers, I know rally roots first comes to mind because they just have this massive operation and, and they are largely in clothing and t-shirts and things like that. Um, so they have to do, but they have a really good system and, and it works for them. Uh, but for most of us, we're not there. Right. So uh, we all aspire to be like them if you're in clothing, but most of us won't be. I mean, let's just, let's just be honest. They are, they're good at what they do and to replicate what they do is going to be a big endeavor for most of us. So I would say kind of look in other areas. That's what, that's, that's always been my, that's been my mantra for the past two months to this group. Anyway, I started earlier, but that's what been my mantra is and that's going to, I'm going to stick with it. Take advantage of the fee structure that they've given you. Now, mind you, there's some other things too that I want to say about fees. You know, big thing, um, a big amount of fee 
goes to eBay on promoted listings. And if you're in the clothing market, you're going to have to use those promoted listings because it's a very competitive area because it's, again, low-hanging fruit, a lot of people in it, very, very easy to get into it. And so you have to have promoted listings to be heard. I'm finding in the collectibles market that I'm wasting money doing fi- uh, doing promoted listings. Now, I'm not saying don't do any promoted listings, but in the in the collectibles market, unless you have something that everybody has, it's not that competitive. It's not as competitive, I should say. It's, it is very competitive. There's a lot of people in the collectibles. So, so you don't have to spend as much money on it. So I've redu- I've reduced my fi- my uh promoted listing fees down to 1% just to, so I can have them. Um and so I it still gets pushed and I still get sponsored stuff, but a lot of people don't actually sponsor the listings in, in the collectibles market, at least that that I've noticed. So there's another savings possibility there as well. So, so there's a lot of good news with this. And so, you know, I would say, uh, you know, I'm not going to go too long on this, but, um, and then we'll go into customer into questions, not customer questions. I just had one on my phone here, so sorry for that. I meant listener questions. Um, but uh, there's a lot of good news for us in this new this new um, fee schedule. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. And a lot of possibility for reduction of fees in other categories as other markets come to uh, maturity in the clothing space. Okay, so I have okay, so I have a couple listeners here. I'm just going to group them into one uh, real kind of basic same question: is is that um, they're they don't want to go into the collectibles markets; they want to stay in clothing because of their life of what they. Apparently, it looks like their lifestyle. In other words, they they don't really go to shows or have shows near them. Right? It doesn't really go into too much detail here. But but I'm gonna I'm I'm not trying to disparage clothing. Um, I think that clothing is a great low hanging fruit area, and there's a lot of people. There's no perceived value in a lot of used clothing, and so I think you can get free clothing from a lot of people just by putting an ad in a Craigslist. So that's that's the question is really is how do I grow my my clothing business? So so I what really did well for me, and I did this during the pandemic, and I think you should look into it as well if you're going to stay in clothing or really anything, frankly, is you get Craigslist is a free source. So you put an ad in Craigslist saying, I buy clothing, and you say in that same Craigslist ad, and I don't have an example, unfortunately, because I don't run it anymore, but you say, I buy clothing, uh, f- and then you list the clothing items that you buy. So if you want men's clothing, say men's clothing and give a list of uh, of different brands that you buy. If you, if you want to be specific, kind of get rid of some of the uh, cheap stuff. But a lot of people don't perceive the value in clothing. Uh, so you can a lot of times you can get rid of it for you can get they get rid of it for nothing or for very little now there are some exceptions where you walk into somebody's house and they have a bunch of hagar shirts and then they are they're asking top dollar for them and just to be 
very, very clear is that, you know, Hagar shirts will sell on eBay, you know, but you're only going to probably get 10 to 15 bucks for them if you're lucky. And so you're, you want your buy cost to be probably one or $2 at the most. But the reality is, is that the sell through rate on those items are very low. So you want to be very, very specific in your Craigslist ad by saying, I buy men's clothing and these are the brands I buy. Um, this is how much I pay. Maybe you could say that too. Um, and, and then basically just run it every couple of days, just renew the ad and you will start getting hits. Matter of fact, I still get phone calls from people that sold to me a year ago, um, saying, Hey, I, uh, I have more stuff. Do you want to buy it? And then and I've got some really good stuff, by the way, in those ads too. I buy a lot of vineyard vines and a lot of Ralph Lauren or did anyway. And so I, you know, I have people who are regulars who say, Hey, let's have more stuff and would you like to buy it? Um, so that's the way to grow it, right? It's not all thrift stores. Thrift stores is a very, you want inventory coming to you or you want to be able to go to some place and buy a bunch of inventory in a very short period of time. And that, and really honestly, uh, running that Craigslist on a regular basis works as does a Facebook ad. Same thing, right? You can do the same thing in Facebook ads is they say, I buy clothing. And the nice thing about Facebook is you're going to get it beyond your, your physical area because people will then ship it to you. Right. So if you recall in the very, very early parts of the pandemic, uh, we all had to trouble going to thrift stores because they were closed. And so I used this Facebook strategy and found a bunch of stuff in Ohio. Then he shipped it to me for like $300 and I I bought thousands of things. I can't can't remember how many I bought, but I still sell stuff from, from that initial haul. Another source you could use is eBay itself. And that's in any category, really, you know, believe it or not, the money, the money in reselling is not the individual item. The money in reselling is the, is the law of large numbers. Like we've gone through, it's having a bunch of items in the same category and parting it out. So just like, so what I do in the, in my area in postcards is very similar to what I said I would do. I, I bought a guy's inventory in his clothing. I've also bought a lot of inventory from people in the postcards area, really. And so they don't want to put the effort in. They don't want to go on eBay and list thousands of items. They don't want to do that. And so they sell it as a big bulk. And so the money is in parting it out, which is great because, uh, basically we're capitalizing on people's laziness. Or lack of time, probably a better way to put it. So I hope that answers the question. Okay, so the next question I have is about titles. And what makes up a good title? So this is kind of an interesting area. So I've heard some people say that it's best to make a title be in just plain English. So if you, you know, you're buying a, a shirt, you're saying, you know, Ralph Lauren, you know, uh, multicolored shirt, size small. Um, I've heard other people say, just fill it with keywords that people search for. I think that's probably more realistic, um, that you want to be able to have as many keywords in there, but you want it to read as plainly as possible as well, because it doesn't, you don't want it to be, so you don't want to use abbreviations, right? Abbreviations are horrible. Now, we only have 80 characters, so we have to use abbreviations. And so I get that, but you want, but you know, if, if you have a vintage item, you want to say vintage, if you put VTG, then it's it's going to be less likely. I'm not going to say impossible, but less likely to show up if some that somebody's not typing VTG. They're, they're typing vintage. I want a vintage shirt. I want a vintage, you know, car. I want a vintage postcard. They're writing vintage, so you should have vintage in your title. If you have, if they want a blue shirt, you want to put blue in your title. Now, what happens if you have a multicolored item? You know, 
uh, do people really search for multicolored? No, they search for colors directly. So I would say you want to say, if it's blue, say blue. If it's red, white, and blue, and you can't fit red, white, and blue, I would pick the color that is the best, and I'd put the color, you know, whether it's red or blue or white or whatever. So you're going to want to say, you know, what the item is. If it's a shirt, you got to say it's shirt. If it's a long sleeve shirt, you should say long sleeve shirt in your title. All right. So that's kind of it really. I mean, I guess the best way to put it is that it needs to be reasonably in plain English and it needs to have the keywords that people are searching for when they search for the item. So just let's say I want to buy an American flag. You know, do I care who the manufacturer is of American flag? Well, maybe, but likely not. Right. So I'm just going to say American flag, red, white, and blue patriotic. All right. So those are probably the items, the things that I would say for that. But if you have a piece of clothing, let's say you have a Gucci shirt, you're going to want to say Gucci in your title. You're going to want to say shirt in your title. You're going to say long sleeve shirt in your title. But should I say designer? Well, I don't know. I think that's kind of implied. So I think designer is kind of a junk word for the most, for the most uh, cases. Sometimes you use it because you don't want to shoot too short of a title, but you have 80 characters. So you don't want to go, you can't go over, but you don't want to go far under. So use them up and think of the way of way you would type it into Google. Now, eBay would have you believe that if you filled out all the item specifics, that that would be great. And maybe that is good for, um, for the Google shopping. Um, but for eBay, I don't think it is at all. And there's that whole side menu where you can kind of go up and down, you know, choose the, you know, the, the categories. I don't think people search that way. I think they, they go right into eBay and then they type in the search bar, you know, I need a Gucci, a Gucci shirt, a Gucci long sleeve shirt, black. All right. So just make sure all those title, those things are in there and make it reasonably English. And I think you're going to be fine. Okay. Next question, I think I have time for one more. The next question is about, am I still doing cross-listing? Um, the answer is yes. No, I don't list any more clothes, so I don't do cross-listing in the cloth area, but I still do cross-listing in the um, the postcard area. So I use something called HIP, HIP uh, uh, Postcard. HIP Postcard is a, a specialty site for postcards. Um, they also do stamps. They also do comic books. Uh, there are some others that, you know, in other areas in the collectible market that I've gone through in the past, uh, we've talked about, I think this, this question seems awfully familiar. Maybe I've answered this before. Anyway, uh, I'll answer it again. So uh, the, the key is though, is you don't want something that you're going to have to manually go in and, and cross list. So list perfectly in the, in the, uh, closed space and Vendu in the closed space are the really the only games in town that I think are worth anything. Uh, List Perfectly is the one I use. Um, um, and there's automation there, but then of course you have to delist stuff. And in clothing, it's not usually a problem. So yeah, I definitely answered this before. Oh God, I need to throw away old email. Anyway, so so the key is is that you want to get into uh, in the habit of of looking for tools that only are automated because as you get bigger, automation is the only way you're going to be able to keep your head afloat. And you now, mind you, if you have a room full of people that are going through your listing, so if you use a virtual assistant, this won't be an issue. You just got to make sure that they're working twenty four seven. And but the sell through rates are so reasonably low in most of these categories, unless you have something really really hot that can get double sold. Uh, it's on issue, but you definitely want to be able to validate that you have delisted something when you sold it on another platform. I tell you, I've several times 
have sold something on eBay, thought I delisted it, and I even even though I went through the 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 mechanism to delist it, I went and list perfectly and hit delist, and then it came back and it said it was delisted, but it really wasn't delisted, and that's not their fault. It's because I didn't the the uh, the little uh, uh, Chrome app was not running in the background. I, did, I thought it was, and so it was my fault. But the reality is, is that it didn't happen. And then you know, maybe a month later, maybe six months later, I go back and I say, God, I, that looks familiar. I thought I sold that already. And then you find out that you did sell it, and then you sold it again. Then you have to go through the uncomfortableness of saying, you know. I don't have this anymore. <laughs> so, and of course, eBay is always the winner here. So, in other words, if I sell it twice on, uh, you know, one platform and then maybe Poshmark, I always honored the eBay. Um, even if it was more money on Poshmark, I, I always honored the eBay listing because eBay is my main source of income in the area. Um, so you don't ever want to be in that situation. And I've never been in the situation where something sold on hip, uh, hip postcard and didn't delist. And a matter of fact, I know auction professor had the exact same thing. He said like in the last couple, uh, couple episodes of his pod or his, um, YouTube channel, I think, but he said the same thing. So I, uh, take it on good authority. If I say it and he says, it's probably true. I've never seen it, uh, not delist. So it's pretty awesome. By the way, Bonanza, big one also. Now I don't sell a hell of a lot on Bonanza, but Bonanza is also automated and it delists automatically. So, you know, I would say, you know, allow, uh, I would say continue using Bonanza. Um, just make sure that um, that you monitor your unsold. So if you go onto your seller hub and you go to unsold ended listings, um, if that is more than zero, then you know that something sold. And so I check, I see that all the time. So that's how I monitor it um, because it'll show it. And if you're on the app, it does kind of the similar similar thing. So let me go on my app really quick. Oops here. So I'm going on my app, my eBay app, and I see under, oops, wrong thing. Oh yeah, see unsold. So if you go up here, there's active, sold, and unsold. The unsold, same thing. So if if it will show an unsold, if you know that, that means that something sold either on Bonanza or a hip postcard. And of course, I could t usually tell based upon you know what it is. If it's clothing, it's obviously not a hip postcard, for instance. So, um, you know, look for tools like that. There is another site that people have talked about and I don't remember it. Um, I can't remember it, but if I do, I'll bring it up in, in another episode, but that has also the automation. But the key is, is that you want it to be automated because it's fine at a thousand listings, but at 10,000 listings, if you don't have automation, you're going to be bowled over by, by stuff that you thought you delisted and didn't. So, Love list perfectly. Love Vendu. I love list perfectly more, but uh, but uh, and great for its area. But you better have a solution for delisting, and those are not it. I hate to say it, they're just not. So and they're good people. Both of them actually. I've talked to the owners of both, and they're, they're great companies, and they both do really good job. I think, like I said, list perfect is just easier for me, but uh, and I still use it. That that's why I use it. But um. But really, you're going to get to a point where even in clothing, you can get to a point where you just can't list on other platforms anymore. And But the nice thing is, and the really good thing is, is that, like I said, I've, I may have said this on another episode too, is that Poshmark is public now. And so there's going to be pressure to improve their platform and they're going to open their API. I'm very, very confident of that. And once that happens, 
I think that you're going to see even less perfectly, um, most definitely, I'm sure they will, is that they're going to figure out a way to kind of connect directly into the database. They don't today because they, w- they don't want to do it one way for eBay and then another way for Mercari and Poshmark. But as those other companies open up their APIs, and even Mercari is looking at this too, because I, I saw that they have a special program for you know big sellers um, that they're that they're working, you're going to see some really good uh, movement in this area. Right. So, I mean, it's easy to do because you, Etsy does it, eBay does it. Um, and, uh, and so you see a lot of third party tools that will uh, hook into these things. I think keep an eye in this space and push. So if you're at a, you know, any, if you have any kind of connections, to any of these companies, you should you know, make some noise about, about them opening up their APIs because that's going to really make it so that you can sell multi multi-platform other than, the, uh, the, you know, the usual suspects. Okay. All right. Well, um, that's it. We're, we're out of, out of time now, but thank you very much for joining. And, uh, you know, obviously go to the website, uh, listen to the other episodes, you know, support our sponsors, all of them. They're all great. And as you know, I don't make a ton of money doing this, uh, cause I'm a reseller more than a, uh, than a social media person, but, um, but it does help defray some of the costs of producing this content. Thank you very much. And we'll see you real soon. Bye. This episode has ended, but your journey towards turning your reselling hobby into a business doesn't have to head on over to oldfashionedmike.com for more information and tips on running a successful reselling business. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode until next time.